Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. I'm reading today from, uh, reading, preaching today um, from uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11 and verses 26 to 32. Um, and it's about the, the cold of the disciples. And I'm just going to read it off of the, the screen here um, today. So one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, uh, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge... Uh, Back one, sorry. He saw the water's edge, two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be, catch, you will be fishing for people. Um, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. And uh, verse 27 to 32. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged uh, belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Um, I'm really excited to preach a message on um, discipleship, the call, the cost, and the mission of it. Um, and uh, yeah, I've, I know I've, I've grew up with Mike as my uh, mentor and pastor for, uh, I'm going to say, 13 years now, a really, really, really long time um, uh, before he had children. Um, so the fact that I'm up here preaching is a testament to his patience with me. Because um, when I was 17, oh man, I thought I knew everything there was to know about being a Christian. Um, Mike's nodding in the front seat, um, uh, remembering the pain of it. Um, I'd grown up in a Christian home and I'd studied apologetics. I listened to a couple of lectures and just repeated what they said. Um, and I'd know some basic theology from my Googling online. Um, if you want to learn theology, don't Google online. Um, you're not going to get uh, a coherent idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Um, I was asking hard questions, and I thought I knew so much that I actually told Mike that I seen your pastor at the time, didn't know what he was talking about when he came to preaching the gospel. The senior pastor of the church that I was attending, who'd been a pastor for 20 years, I think, at that point, I said, he's not preaching the gospel. 
He talked about love all of the time, and he didn't talk about where, where, where was the punishment of sin? Where was the eternal damnation of hell? Why wasn't he telling people what they had to do in order to be saved? Um, and if you need to want to know why this is wrong, I, I talk about grace in a previous sermon, and, and man, just listen to any of our messages, I guess, um, on the podcast. Um, so I decided to take control of my own life, and I left the church, and I went and did my own thing. I thought, if no one else knows how to be a Christian, at least I'll do it properly at home, outside of church and outside of community. Um, not a great idea. And so I went on my own, and I made a lot of really bad choices for my life. But by the grace of God, he called me back into community, and he called me back into his presence. He challenged every preconceived notion I had about what it meant to follow him. And I went from hearing about the love of God to knowing personally and experiencing the love of God in my own life. The gospel became alive to me and Jesus became alive. He wasn't still stuck up on that cross, but he'd been resurrected in heaven. He was reserving a seat for me. My whole life trajectory changed when I met Jesus for the second time. I knew of him, but now I truly know him. He called me to follow him despite all of the running I had done. And like Peter and Matthew in our passage today, when Jesus called, I left my old life to follow him. Not as immediately as they did, but slowly I laid down my old life to pick up this new life he has in store for me. And Jesus calls Peter and Matthew in the middle of their messy lives to follow him, just like he calls us. And today I'm going to preach about and talk about what it means to, when Jesus calls us to follow him and what kind of mission he's calling us to follow him into. So um, yeah, let's pray God speaks to us today. Heavenly Father, we just invite you into this place and invite your Holy Spirit to come and speak to us today. Lord, be convicting through the, through the words and, and be challenging people today and be yeah, speaking directly into their lives and in their midst, Lord. We just pray for, for open ears and open hearts today as we receive your word. Amen. Um, in our passage today, we see the calling of the first disciples. We see four of them, Simon, James, John, and Levi. Simon and Levi are more commonly known throughout the rest of the New Testament as Matthew and Peter, which is why I called them Matthew and Peter earlier. And that's why I'm going to keep calling them Matthew and Peter for the rest of the sermon. And when I say call to discipleship, I mean the moment that Jesus calls us to follow him. And this call comes out of an encounter with Jesus and his holiness, his power, and his authority, and his redeeming love in our lives. The important part about this call is it's from God and not from an earthly authority. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working within Jesus that calls us out of our lives and into fellowship with him. Our confession of faith in Jesus can't be done without encountering him first because Jesus is the revelation of God to us. And that's why it's so important that we read the Bible and we understand what it means when when Jesus calls us to be his own. Jesus will never call us when we're perfect, and he doesn't call us at our peak. But he calls us in the midst of our mets, in the middle of our lives, where we're still trying to make something happen. He calls us to join him, to follow him, to come and walk in a relationship with him. Be my friend, be my co-worker, be my brother and my sister. We aren't disciples so that we can get to heaven, and we aren't disciples because it's easy to be disciples. We're disciples because he calls us to be disciples. He reaches out and he joins us in our messy lives. He's out in the boat with us, serving and walking with us. He doesn't stay up in heaven and look down and go, ooh, that was a bad choice. I wouldn't have done that. Ooh, that's a, 
yeah, look, I think you kind of got your theology a little bit wrong. Let me, let me come and fix that up for you. No, he, he, comes in, he came as a person, incarnate Jesus, to stand with us in our mess, in our lives, in the midst of us, and say, I'm with you. I know what you're, you're, you're feeling. I know what your life is like. I know the struggle with sin. I know the struggle with temptation. I know the struggle of suffering, of grief. I know the struggle it is to be abused. I know the struggle that it is to be rejected. I know the struggle that it is to be betrayed. I know what it is to truly live and truly suffer with you. We follow a God who steps into our lives and invites us to be his friend, his co-worker, and his brother and sister. And we choose to follow Jesus because he first chose us to follow him. And we love Jesus because he first loves us. Both Matthew and Peter trusted in Jesus when he called him, and it wasn't because they already knew him. If you see in, in verse 27, Jesus walked up to this tax collecting booth, pointed at Matthew and went, follow me, and he followed him. There's no relationship there. We didn't read earlier in Luke that he was friends with, with Matthew or that he knew Matthew. He simply came up to him and said, Cole and follow me. And for the sake of the coal, he came and followed him. And that's because Jesus encountered him and were called with authority by him, the authority that comes from the Holy Spirit. We know Jesus spoke with authority from Luke chapter 4, verse 32. Um, and the same power that healed the sick and cast out demon, demons is the same power that called Matthew to follow Jesus. And it's the same power that Jesus calls us to follow him. The same power of the Holy Spirit working within us and within you when you are ministering to people, when you are evangelizing to people, when you're sharing your life and your testimony, your journey with Jesus with people, is the same power that put the stars in place. It's the same power that said, let there be light, and there was. That's the power working within you when you speak the gospel to people. Our call to follow comes from that power and we encounter Jesus through the gospel and it's the power of the Holy Spirit that compels us. Peter knew Jesus, but until Jesus called him with authority, he didn't leave his boat. Peter knew Jesus back for ages, likely. We see that he heals his own mother, so likely he already knew Jesus. But until Jesus stepped into the boat with him, he didn't follow Jesus. Until Jesus called, come and follow me, he didn't come and follow Jesus. The call was the thing that had authority, not the relationship. Discipleship requires obedience and to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Ooh, those are two really big words, obedience and conform. Those are two words we do not like in our culture at all. Obey and conform. Obedience is the first step of discipleship, though. We don't do an altar call, and we don't pray the sinner's prayer or ask for hand raises because it's the action that saves you. We do them because it shows active obedience to Jesus. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, um, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, which I'm going to quote again later, um, says, the response of disciples starts with obedience and not with the confession of faith in Jesus. You don't say, Lord, I trust you and I put my whole life in you. You start by going, okay, show up, show me. I will obey, you've called me to call on your name. I will obey and call on your name, so show up. Be there when you call me. Do what you said when you said, come and follow me. Lead me. Peter at the waters is obedient to Jesus. At your word, I will let down the nets. And then he's obedient upon returning to land. He leaves everything and follows him. And in our passage today, we have a glimpse of what it's going to cost us to follow Jesus. Peter leaves everything he has to follow 
And I said earlier, we know from Luke chapter 4, verse 36, that um, Peter has a mother-in-law and therefore also has a wife. And he also did a fishing business and he's just made a really big catch on, which he's probably going to get really rich off of. And what does he do? He leaves it. He leaves his wife. He leaves his family. He leaves his job and follows Jesus. Later, Jesus explains the cost of discipleship and the cost of following him in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 to 26. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, that's the obedience and the conforming, and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. The call to Jesus asks nothing less of us than all that we have. He calls us out of our comfortable lives and into a relationship with him to follow him, to be taught by him, and to die with him. And this is what it means when he says, come and follow me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says when Jesus calls him in to follow, he bids him to come and die. And he actually lived that out in his own life. He came and he died for speaking out against the Nazi regime. In our Western culture, it's unlikely that we'll be called to die for our faith. It's pretty unlikely that anyone in this room is going to be sent to prison and executed because we believe that Jesus is Lord and Saviour. Yet it's a lot of little deaths in our life, a lot of small deaths each day. What are we willing to sacrifice in order to push you and follow Jesus? Our desires? Are we willing to sacrifice our passions, our preferences? What about our dreams or our security? What are you willing to sacrifice in order to follow Jesus? Matthew, um, a man who didn't know Jesus, and yet because of this call, he leaves future wealth and his position and his life to follow him. Um, you might hear tax collector and go, yeah, it's like an accountant, like an accountant today, it's not in the Roman times. In Roman times, the tax collector was not an accountant, he was a cheat, and he was a liar, and he was a thief. So the Romans said, this is how much money we need from the tax business. If you give us this amount of money, we'll be happy. We don't care what you do with the rest. So often tax collectors would go, cool, this is how much you owe the Roman government, and if you don't, I will beat you and I will kill you. And I will put you in prison, because this is how much you owe. And it's not going to be the amount that they actually owe. It's going to be more than they owe. And this tax collector goes, sick, this is mine now. I get to keep all of this money. And yet Jesus calls him into it. It was actually so common for them to be liars and cheaters that in Rome there was a monument built to the only honest tax collector in Rome. A monument built to someone being honest at their job. Matthew was likely hated among his peers, seen as a liar, a cheat, and a traitor to his people. In fact, Peter, James, and John were likely cheated by Matthew. And yet Jesus calls Matthew and says, come with me, come and follow me. Be the brothers and sisters to the people you have cheated. Be the brothers and sisters to the people you've betrayed. And for the sake of the call, he follows him and he upends his life and he becomes their brother. And this is just a glimpse of the kingdom that Jesus is ushering in. The kingdom that asks us to be his co-workers in. That we lay down our grievances and we, um, and we offer forgiveness and seek unity with those who hurt us. And so the oppressed become the forgivers. And then the oppressors become repentant. And they say, I seek forgiveness from you. I seek recompense from you. And this flips the whole narrative around. They repent of their actions and they lay down their old lives and they follow Jesus in unity together. Because there's no hierarchy here. 
There's no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. There's no hierarchy in the follower of God. You're just a disciple just as much as, as anybody else in this room. And so whether you're, you feel like you might be oppressed or whether you feel like you are potentially an oppressor, Jesus comes and says, come together under me, follow me, be my disciple. This is a kingdom built on the grace and mercy of Jesus. And we see more of this mission at the end of our passage today. With Matthew gathering his friends, sinners and tax collectors to meet Jesus, the man who changed his whole life. And Jesus calls them to repentance in communion with him. He steps into their lives and he says, I offer you redemption. I offer you restoration to the kingdom of God. You're not, you're not too sinful. You're not too awful. You're not too evil. You're not too bad. I offer you redemption into this family. I can't help but consider that is the response that we have when we meet Jesus. To come and meet this guy who changed my whole life, who called me out of my destructive behaviours, who raised me up in life, and he called me by name to follow him. Come and see, come and meet this Jesus who redeemed and restored me, who will redeem and restore you. The call to follow Jesus is a call that resounds in restoration to the kingdom of God and redemption from the life we've been living. Matthew walked in unity with men who he cheated throughout his whole career. And Peter, the uneducated fisherman, now walks as Peter the rock in which Jesus will build his church upon. Come on, that's not, if that's not restoration, if that's not redemption, I don't know what is. You come from the lowest of low spots and you become the linchpin, the key to the church that Jesus will build it upon. Jesus takes our lives and calls us and sends us on a trajectory that we could never imagine our own. And when Jesus guides Peter to this miracle of catch, we catch another glimpse of this redeeming work he calls us into. Though you're tired and though you're weary, a blessing is coming. It, the, the, the passage here in, in Luke, it, it says they were up all night fishing. And it's not just they were up all night fishing, they were working hard to the bone all night. And they're at the morning washing their nets because they've caught nothing. They have nothing to their name. After a whole night of hard work, and Jesus goes, yeah, can you just go out in the boat so I can preach now? And then he says, can you go out further? And me, a carpenter who has no idea how to fish, is going to tell you an expert fisherman who knows exactly what he's doing to fish in the wrong spot and tells you there'll be a catch there. And uh, Peter goes, okay, Uh, I'll trust you. I don't think we're going to get anything, but sure. Follow me, by led, be led by me, and listen to the words I say and watch what I'll do in your presence. This is the, the call that Jesus offers us. He re- restores the unrestorable, he redeems the unredeemable, and he gathers those in who are cast out, and he raises them to life together with him. There's not anyone that's outside of this kingdom of God, right? I, I know that each of you have got someone on your mind right now that goes, oh, but really them? Really them? I've got someone in my heart that I go, oh, yeah, like, I know God can do anything and he can redeem anyone, but I think this person is too far gone. They're done. Now, Jesus can redeem anyone and he will redeem anyone and he will restore anyone. Don't, don't let your faith in Jesus um, be dictated by what you do and do not think he can do. And the mission and ministry Jesus calls us into his disciples is to be ministers of this redemption and restoration to call people out of their sinful disobedience into a deep relationship with Jesus. Matthew does this by inviting his friends and Jesus over for dinner and he places his friends among Jesus. 
and someone who's recognized to be holy and have authority, and Jesus calls them to repentance. Can you imagine inviting a friend over to meet all of your friends? And this friend goes, yeah, so you guys are sinners and you should, you should repent of your sin. Can you imagine sitting in a dinner party and someone goes, yeah, you should, you should stop doing the bad things that you're doing because I think they're bad and you need to, you need to stop it. This is the power and the authority that Jesus has with his words, that he can call sinners to repentance in a, in a family, in a community that says, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, Jesus. It's an example that we can follow, inviting people to come and see the goodness of God and to walk in relationship with each other so we can always be pointing towards Jesus. Inviting people over for dinner, invite people to life group, invite people to read the Bible with you, invite them to church, celebrate and encourage anyone who takes steps towards obedience in Jesus. How much do we celebrate and encourage one another when they go, oh yeah, I started fasting and praying this week, one day a week. How much do we celebrate and encourage one another when they said, yeah, I was reading my Bible once a week and now I'm up to twice. Reading twice a week. I'm, I can only do like a minute of prayer before and now I'm up to three minutes. I, I, I can only make it two weeks, two, two days out of the, the five that we do the prayer call, but I'm there. How much do we enjoy and encourage that? What are you doing to take steps towards Jesus and how are you encouraging others to do that? I know talking about obedience can be this really touchy subject in our culture because when we hear the word obey, we hear the word submit, and we hear the word submit, we hear the word servitude, and we hear the word servitude, we hear the word servant. And that's a really touchy subject within our culture. Who am I supposed to, who tells me what to do? Who's the boss of my life? How can you tell me what I'm supposed to live, how I'm supposed to live, what I'm supposed to do? What authority do you have to tell me what I'm supposed to do with my life? If we're obeying someone else, it means we're not doing what we want to do. Obeying our parents when they say we can't go out to a really cool party. Or obeying our boss when they say, oh, actually, there's no one to cover this shift, so do you reckon you can stay on and, and do the rest of this shift? Maybe it's obeying the, obeying the church when they say, we actually think this is a sin, and you need to repent. But obedience is key to discipline. You can ask, uh, Michael's not here, but you can ask him what does it mean to be disciplined. And to discipline is to be, obey what you're supposed to do in order to discipline your body or your mind or your spirit into a state where you can do what you previously could not do and where you could be someone you previously could not be. When I think of obedience, though, I think of joyful obedience. I know Jesus loves me, and I know his agenda for me is good. And so when he commands me to obey, I listen, not because out of fear, or not, not because he called me to obey, but because I know, actually, if he calls me to obey, it's because he loves me, and it's because he cares about me, and it's because the thing that I'm doing isn't good, and the thing that he's calling me to is good. And so when he calls us to obey and when he calls us, hey, I, you need to stop this or you need to start doing more of this. What, what are you doing in your life? What, what direction are you heading in? This is, the, this is the stuff. This is the stuff that you need to give over to Jesus. And so actually, I'm not, I'm not the one in control. I'm not the boss of my own life. Jesus is. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that, that has to be true for us because I can trust him when he says there are things that will lead to my death. And I can trust him um, that he doesn't want to restrict my freedom, but to give me freedom, not this worldly freedom to do anything I please, whenever I please, however I please, with whoever I please, but a heavenly freedom that says I'm set free to do his will. And I'm set free spiritually from the ties that bind me to doing what I want to do. I'm set free to follow. 
It's amazing that when our lives are given over to Jesus in obedience, we don't feel restricted, held back, or like we're missing out. Because I know who holds my tomorrow. I don't have to fear about tomorrow. I can rest in peace today and in comfort today. And we are secure, hopeful, and full of joy and peace. Because my freedom isn't based on my ability to foresee or control the future. It's based on his ability to be faithful to me. And he will always be faithful to me. And he will always be faithful to you. Our struggle with obedience brings us back to this question we see again and again through the Bible. Who holds the keys to the kingdom? Or who is really in control here? Do you really believe Jesus is as good as he says he is? Do you really believe that he's the person who's in charge and holds your future and your tomorrow? The Pharisees and scribes thought that they had the keys to the kingdom of God and thought that they understood who qualified to be in and out of the kingdom. And we can often think that we hold the key to our own success, to our destiny, to our future, to our career. We think that we can pick what we do with our time and we pick what our vocation is and what we spend our lives doing and we can hold the keys to our own kingdom and we can be in control of our own lives. And that can be, you can totally be in charge and your life can be totally be up to you. But the call to discipleship is giving the keys over to Jesus and saying, you're the one leading me. I'm the one following you. We recognize like Peter that our own efforts are fruitless. Our hard work, our striving again and again shows us up empty-handed at the foot of Jesus. When we encounter with Jesus and we know that there is someone who is holy, there is someone who can lead us. There's someone who leads us where there is blessing, not just leads us fruitlessly, but leads us where there is blessing to be had who can carry the burdens of our life, who will comfort us in our suffering and lead us through our trials, who calls us by name and tells us, do not be afraid. When we recognize him as the Lord of our lives and we hand the keys over to him, we know we're safe and our striving ceases. Our lives become directed by him towards blessing. We're never empty-handed when we give the keys over to Jesus. And I want to encourage you this morning to hand those keys over to Jesus. Don't struggle and fight to be in control anymore. The last years have taught us anything is that we have frighteningly little control of our own lives. COVID's going to hit whenever and however. You can go, this is my plan for my week. This is the plan for my fortnight. This is the plan for my month. And suddenly I'm sick. I can't go out anywhere. I'm stuck in my home. I can't work. I can't see friends. What do you, what do, you do when that happens? Do you freak out and panic? I'm not going to get my study done this week because I'm not at study and there's no lecturers online for me to be able to to communicate with. I've got assignments due and I'm just stuck at home. I'm trapped in my own bubble of isolation. No one's talking to me, no one's speaking to me. I'm stuck. I'm stuck where I am and I don't like it and I want out, but I'm not allowed to get out because I don't have control of the situation. So you need to go to someone who does have control. You need to go to Jesus. Jesus has control and authority of this situation. He says, I'm here to comfort you when you're struggling. I'm here in your anxiety and in your stress and in your worry. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. I've got tomorrow. You don't have to worry about that assignment that's coming up. I've got you. I'll give you words if you need them. I'll give you information if you need it. I will carry you through this time of suffering and trial and bring you out the other side. Do you trust him to do that? Or do you trust yourself that you'll bring yourself out of this time of trial? That you'll bring yourself out of this time of suffering? That you've got the power and you've got the control? That you're the boss of your own destiny? That you're the boss of your own life? 
If I pick a good university to get into, I'll get a good job, and therefore I'll have good money. And then if I have good money, I can have a good house, and then I can have a good retirement, and then I can have fun and do what I want to. We, we get interrupted in that. Our plans don't happen the way we want them to. Ask anyone in this room. Our plans don't happen the way we want them to or expect them to. We thought we'd be in this building for another year at least. That's not happening. What do we do? We trust Jesus. Hand control over to someone who knows what will happen next and he holds the future in his hands. Nothing's a surprise to him. Hand it over to Jesus. Here is call to follow him. Be renewed in the call you received at the start of your journey. Remember why you were first captured by Jesus, how he met you in the middle of your mess, in your sin and called you his own. I encourage you to remember the reason you got up and followed him into discipleship in the first place. Remember the call to you that you can embrace the mission, the mission of restoration and redemption. He invites you to be a part of it in which we forsake everything else to pursue. Let Jesus guide your future. Give him your hopes. Submit your dreams to him. Ask him, God, what do you want to do with my future? How do you want me to, to evangelize in this place? How do you want me to glorify your name in this place? Wherever I am, what, do you, what can I do to honor you, Lord, in this place? Direct me to your blessing in this place, Lord. Find your security in him. Return to the only one in which we can find hope. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you are able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.